0: Well, it is so good to be together with you today. And uh, with those of you online, we're so grateful to share this time together with you. Hey, if you're new in the room with us or if you're new online with us, I uh, have some hopefully good news for you. We have a gift for you and we'd love to give you that gift. Um, after the service, if you're in the room, and if for those in the room, after the service, if you'll go back to the welcome table, there'll be a host there, they'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. And if you can think about if you think about it, take a moment and fill out the Connect card that's located in the seat back of that chair in front of you and uh, just give that to the, the host there and we'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. Also, if you're online, we'd love to give you a gift for being with us. Uh, for those of you who are new, we'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. They're po- ho- posting a Connect card right now in the chat or on Facebook or wherever you're consuming this. And uh, that way you can fill that out and we'd love to send you a gift uh, for being with us this morning. Hey, Westside, let's let everyone that's new with us in the room and everyone that's watching online, let them know how grateful we are to share this time with them. Will you do that with me? Yeah. Now, when the church abandons uh, the mission that God has, The world gets the wrong picture of God. Just think about that for a second. Whenever we abandon our duties of what God has called us to do, whenever we we, we put something else in its place or whenever we abandon our duties as Christ followers, we don't represent God and we don't represent represent Jesus in the way that he's called us to represent him. Many people then have, because of this misrepresentation, many people have, have left um, the faith. Um, and many people then abandoned their view of God or they, because they had the wrong view of God, a misrepresented view of God. And maybe you know somebody like this. Maybe you know someone who he, they misunderstood God. Uh, maybe they were hurt in the church. Maybe they didn't re- had no clue how to reconcile that. Maybe there was something that they read or something that was said that misrepresented who God was, what God was like. And, and in that, they walked away from their faith. Or maybe, maybe you're close to doing that yourself. And if so, I'm so glad that you're here. And we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. So hang on right there. We've been in the series that we've been talking about uh, God's mission. And here's the series big idea. If you have your notes, uh, I encourage you to follow along with me. Um, this is the series big idea that we've been talking about. God's, the church doesn't have a mission, but God's mission has a church. The church doesn't have a mission. It's God's mission that has us, the church. Now, one of the biggest dysfunctions that we've had as a church since the printing press, <laughs> um, it, one of the bi- biggest dysfunctions, if I can call this a dysfunction, is that we think of the church as being a building. And, and that when we think the word church, we automatically assign that it's a place with the building. We, we assign it to be a, a, a building with walls, a roof, and a steeple. And we've forgotten and we've misrepresented that the church is the people. See, this is one of the biggest dysfunctions that we've had is we have called the church a place or a building. And, and, and instead of the gathering of God's people, the gathering of the people who follow Jesus. Now this is an easy um, misunderstanding. This is an easy thing to kind of get into, but it's a misunderstanding and it's a misunderstanding nonetheless. So we have to call it. And it's a misunderstanding that the first century Jews made too. They, see, they made them. they had this misunderstanding about a place called the temple. And it was one of the. It was it was actually a hostile misunderstanding. One that Jesus would try to redefine, and he would try to get them to see it differently. And his definition of what the temple was, as he redirected it, it got him killed because of what he claimed the temple to be. See, Jesus claimed that the temple was not a building. That it was, and that's what. That the Jews were wrong. He said, hey, you're wrong, Jews. The temple's not a building. And for those who knew the Hebrew scriptures, uh, which we call our Old Testament, um, for those in that first century that knew these so well, they knew there was always a temple or a structure connected to God. It was a place with walls and a roof that represented God. And the reason the temples were so important to the Hebrews and this Jewish people is because God's mission has always, always had a temple. It has always had a temple. God's mission, and we've talked about his mission in this whole series. In week one, we talked about God has a mission to reverse the curse of sin and to bless all who come to God through Christ and restoring his identity in them. And and his mission to restore his identity in his lost humanity has always had a temple. See, the temple was a representation of God's invitation to humanity. It was a place that represented God's residence on earth. See, God's temple is where heaven meets earth so humanity can connect with God. This is the purpose of the temple. The temple was a representation of God's presence. And it was a representation of God's invitation to humanity to connect with him. Now the temple is woven all throughout scripture. It's through all the narrative of the scripture. And in the first temple that we read about is the Garden of Eden. It was in this Garden of Eden where the first this represented the first temple. This was where humanity had a perfect community with God. It was per, this is where humanity had perfect communion with God. The first humans carried out their priestly duties in this temple under God's authority. However, when Adam and Eve failed their priestly duties by resisting god 's authority, when they, re, when they failed these priestly duties in the garden, God exiled them out of the Garden of Eden and cast them into the land of Eden. They were now they were now separated, and everyone born into humanity 's existence from here forth, they were now separated from God by the curse of sin, which now would rest on all humanity. But God still had a mission, and his mission was to be with the people that were created in his image. So God calls a man named Abraham. Abraham has a grandson named Jacob. He renames him Israel. Israel turns into a nation, but the nation of Israel rejects God's authority again. And so God exiles the nation of Israel into the land of Egypt. And then God delivers the nation of Israel back. He he delivers them out of exile. And after God delivered the nation of Israel from their slavery as exiles in Egypt, God commanded Moses, the prophet, to have the Israelites build a tabernacle. God's presence now would be represented in this mobile temple, this mobile temple called a tabernacle. Heaven, again, would meet earth, and there would be a representation of that. Then God, over time, thousands of years would go by. And over time, God would allow King David and fulfill King David's desire to build a temple. However, King Solomon, David's son, would be the one to build the temple. And King Solomon would build the temple, a permanent structure, not one that would be torn down and moved and mobile. Now they would have a city where this temple would rest in the place of Jerusalem. Solomon's temple would be constructed and Israel would turn their turn away from God's authority. And then God would allow them to go back into exile. And when they would go into exile, the d- temple would be destroyed. And the destruction of the temple was actually, it, it would be destroyed and reconstructed several times throughout Israel's uh, time as exile. They would exile, they'd come back, reconstruct the temple, and then they would be exiled again. It would happen several times until King Herod, right in the first century, would build this massive temple. Now, see, the temple's, re, the temple's construction, whenever they would construct the temple, it would symbolize God's favor on the nation of Israel. And whenever the temple was destroyed, it would represent, it would be a symbol to all people of God's judgment on Israel. See, the temple was a symbol to all people of two things that you and I need to remember. See, the temple was a symbol of invitation, the temple was a symbol of judgment. It was an invitation to come to God in repentance and have your sins forgiven. As anyone who would come to God humbly, bringing an offering, God would forgive their sins. It was also a symbol of God's judgment on sin. Slaughter tables would outline the perimeter of the outer court, and, and, and it would all lead to an altar in that middle of the outer court area. There at the altar, God would allow an animal that would be slaughtered to be presented on that altar to be a substitute for the punishment of humanity's sin against him. That whenever someone would sin, they would offer a substitute. God would allow that animal to take the substitute punishment, be a substitutionary punishment for what that person Deserved because sin deserves death. He would allow death to come upon an animal so death wouldn't come upon the human. And in this, the animal, not humanity, would take the judgment of humanity's sin. See, the temple was a constant reminder day in and day out of God's judgment on sin, death. This was a shadow of the light that shined so brightly that the temple is a, also a representation of God's invitation for humanity to have a relationship with God. Because this is the light, the life of God, and this in, in a relationship that comes through repentance. See, one must confess their sin in order to have a relationship with God. And the temple represented that. See, offering a sacrifice for sin to... Come and say, here's a sacrifice for my sin. This was an act of confession of sin. To offer this sacrifice was an act of confessing of sin. In order to have a relationship with God, one must confess their sin. And offering the sacrifice was the confession of sin. And this act was called repentance, coming to God through confession. See, the act of repentance was how humanity could have a relationship with God. And that relationship with God is what gives life. <laughs> See, this also gives us another picture of the temple. The temple was a, also a picture of the holy force of God to bring life to those who repent and judgment on those who do not. See, God is a holy force unlike any other. He gives life to all who humbly come to him. He gives life to all who humbly come to him to those who ignore him, forsake him, and in their pride reject him. He's also a holy force of judgment on sin. See, the temple represented a progressive pathway to the presence of God, a progressive pathway to have life. The sacrifices and confession of sin would lead to the purification, which led to the presence of of God. God is a holy force who gives life to all who humbly come into him in repentance and he brings them into his presence. See, God's judgment would also be upon all who don't accept or receive that invitation. However, the temple was never meant to be this way. It wasn't God's intention that this would be the temple's way. See, the temple was to be where God had a perfect relationship. The temple was to be where God had perfect communion with humanity that was created in his image. But because the first priest, Adam and Eve, abandoned their duties, the temple was restricted now. It would be restricted to only the high priest and those who would be selected for the priestly duties because sin would plague now humanity's narrative and every one of us would be born into sin and have the curse of sin, there would have to be a constant sacrifice of animals continually for every sin against others because when we sin against others, we sin against God. And when we sin against God, we have to bring a sacrifice for that sin. And there would be a constant sacrifice of animals to substitute for the sins of humanity against God until... Jesus. Until Jesus, the God-man, would come and enter our world to change the story, to redefine the temple. And when Jesus came, he declared something so radically new for the world lost in sin. See, Jesus declared that his body is the true temple where heaven meets earth so humanity can connect with God. This is what Jesus declared. He became the representation. Jesus came and became the perfect representation of God's invitation to lost humanity. This was a radical statement to a world who for thousands of years had to come and and, and present substitutes and sacrifices as substitutes for themselves to take upon the judgment of sin. And Jesus he he was so passionate for God's mission. And he demonstrated his passion for God's mission. And he knew God's mission had a temple. He came to redefine it. And he had a, he had a passion for a place where people could connect with God. He had a passion for people to connect with God. And one day he demonstrated this so beautifully. John chapter two tells us about this. Jesus walked into the temple court that King Herod built. He was in the outer court and they were, they were out there. They were selling um, animals and, and, and what's he do? He, he goes and, and he is, he's on a mission. He was on a mission and the temple did not represent the mission that he had. And one of few times that we see Jesus' anger Jesus MacGyver's a whip together, flips tables over, drives out all the, uh, the, the, the those that were money changers in the, making this a marketplace. He drives out all the animals with his whip in, that were being sold to make the sacrifices happen. His claim was that people were turning God's mission into something for a personal profit. And one of the few times his anger was there and his claim was that you have misrepresented God's mission. Matthew and Mark record the same instance and say that Jesus quoted Isaiah 56, 7, claiming that the temple is not a marketplace. My house will not be a call, but will be this, but will be called a house of prayer. Prayer, where you and I commune. With God. It's a place where we can connect with God. And not just a prayer for you, but it's a place of connection for the nations. The religious elite, <laughs> obviously disturbed and highly offended. They go to Jesus and say, by whose authority and by what authority do you do all of this? Who gives you this authority? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple And I, you got to understand this, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years. In other words, Jesus, you're crazy. It took 46 years for King Herod's crew and all the people to build this temple. It took an army of people to build this temple. And you're going to raise it in three days? And then John gives you the insight, because this is so important. The temple he had spoken of was his body. Jesus would allow his body to be sacrificed, to be destroyed. And in three days, he returned to life, confirming that he is the true temple. His body is the place where heaven meets earth. He is the only way for humanity to reconnect with God. He is the full representation of God. And he is the invitation of God to you to have a relationship with him. The resurrection of Jesus puts the stamp of authority on this. It puts his approval on this and it shows us that Jesus is Lord and that he is the authority who redefines or and truly defines the temple. Jesus is the temple. Jesus also became to become, he came and became the eternal sacrifice, replacing all the sacrifices that would ever be needed. In that temple. See, in his kindness, God took the eternal judgment of sin upon himself by becoming the one sacrifice for every sin of everyone who would repent and trust in him. This, this is God's kindness to the world. This is God's kindness to you. This is God's kindness toward the nations. That God would substitute himself because he's the only one who can make all the sacrifices obsolete. Only he could come and live the perfect life you could never live to be the one sacrifice for all time. That God would substitute himself in your place to take your punishment of your sins against him upon himself. That is his kindness. All this, so you can have a relationship with him. All this so that your identity can be restored in Christ. An identity that sin distorts, an identity that we search for in everything else, he wants to restore it in Christ. All this so he can give us a relationship with him and we then can receive life. See, God doesn't count your sin against you. He doesn't count your sin against you when you confess your sin and trust that Jesus took the punishment of your sin upon himself. This is what the temple represents. This is who Jesus represents. The Jesus, it's a representation of God's invitation to have a relationship with him. It's a representation that God is a holy, unotherly Life-giving force. Because this is what the temple does. The temple makes un-things, unholy things holy. See, the temple makes what is unholy? Holy. In a, in a dispute over that, that these religious leaders had about what, what's more holy, the gold or the temple. T- Jesus calls them blind because they don't see the temple the way God sees the temple. He, Jesus comes and says, you, tells them, you blind fools. It's, it's not the gold that, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold holy. See, the temple is what makes everything in the temple holy. And this is what Jesus, the temple, does. Jesus makes unholy people like me, like you. He makes us holy. He makes the unsacred sacred. Jesus makes the sinner forgiven and eternally forgiven. His body, the true temple, he is where heaven meets earth and he is where God can commune with his people and he is a representation of God's invitation to the nation's. Jesus' body became the true temple and the apostle Paul would recognize this. The apostle Paul, who, who also would be one of these a religious elite, who had an idea of what the temple truly was. God would, Jesus would change Paul's understanding of what the temple was. He, and and he, would, he would understand truly what Jesus said about the temple. He would recognize that the church or the family of God is the body of Christ. And he would connect that being the body of Christ is being the temple of God. See, the apostle Paul identified our bodies. He identified your body as the temple where the Holy Spirit of God resides. In 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds the church of God's mission, and they abandoned God's mission. They misunderstood and misrepresented God's mission. And because of that, people misunderstood God and how they needed to be live in response to God. But Paul reminds them in chapter three that they are God's building, that, that God's, they are God's temple where the Holy Spirit resides. And because we are the body of Christ, he would say in chapter six that your bodies are God's holy temple. And this is what he would say to them. Do you not know? Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. That price being Jesus' sacrifice. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So, what do we do? We see ourselves in view of how Jesus sees us that we are his extension, we are the body. Of Christ. We are the temple in whom the Holy Spirit of God resides. So, what do we do? We honor God with our bodies. Just as a temple was a place of reverence and honor to the God of heaven, we honor our bodies with that same reverence and honor, and we honor everybody's body as the temple or the potential temple of the Holy Spirit of God. The place where heaven meets earth and every temple also needs a priest. See every temple needs a priest and Adam and Eve were the first priests they failed their priestly duties Aaron and and the Levites were priests of the mobile temple the tabernacle and became the priests of the permanent building that would be a structure called the temple and and and, and they never they rarely got that light right but Jesus <laughs> Jesus, he, as Hebrews 4 says, becomes a high priest. He becomes the high priest on behalf of you. See, Jesus is the high priest of a new new temple, the people of God. Therefore, just as the first Adam failed his priestly duties, Jesus comes to do what he failed to do. See, what a priest does is so important. A priest represents the people to God and represents God to the people. This is what Hebrews 4 would show us. That Jesus represents to us represents us to God the Father and he is the full representation of God to us. The priest then is a representation of God's invitation. Just like the temple is an inf- representation of God's invitation. An invitation to have a relationship with God. The priest then is a represents God to humanity. This is what we do. The apostle Peter would bring perspective into this, into one of his letters, in his first letter that we have in the New Testament. He would say, as you come to him. I just want you to just capture the progression here. There's a temple. Remember we said that the the, the temple represents a progression. See, as you come to God, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. See, you don't approach God in fear. You can approach God because you know what he thinks about you because of what Jesus did for you. You are precious to him. You also, he says, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You, all of you, are being built. What's a spiritual house? A temple. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. It's just a reminder that the temple is an invitation. It, represent, it is a representation of God's invitation to humbly come to him, confess your sin, trust in him in five life. But it's also a demonstration of God's judgment, a judgment on those who reject that invitation and don't receive it as their own. But you, Peter would say, but you are a royal, are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I can't help but imagine if Peter, I always like to imagine if Peter were right here with us, what would he say to us? You know, if I were sitting with you, I believe he would point his finger at me and he'd say, You, you're chosen. That that he would look at you and he would look at you and say, You're chosen. You you, You and I might go, Wait, you don't understand what I've done. No, you're chosen. You don't understand what people have done to me. No, you're chosen. You don't understand the things that I that that, that I think and I do. He goes, you no 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 no. You're chosen. You're chosen. It's an invitation. The priest is a representation of an invitation, and you are chosen. You're a royal priesthood. You. He go. How can I be royal? It's not because of what you've done or what's been done to you. It's because of what Jesus did for you you are chosen you are a royal priesthood and all of you all of you are a holy nation you are set apart that's what holy means you are a holy nation that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light you declare what he has done for you, that God has moved us from the outer court of full of death and darkness. And he has brought us into this inner court of life-giving life. See, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you were not a part of the family of God, but now all of us are a part of the family of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, we represent this invitation that God gives mercy to those who humbly come to him. You and I, our story represents that. That's why we humbly come to God to receive his mercy. And we represent that to all people that when you humbly come to God, he extravagantly gives mercy to all who humbly come to him, confess their sin and trust in him. And because we've received mercy and grace, we are free, and we are free to live like God. We are free to live godly lives. And he would say in verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sexual desires, which wage war against your soul. I just want to pause right here, because next week we begin a brand new series called, series called This Is War. You do not want to miss it, because there is a war that, that, is, that we, we fight and it's not what you think it is, but it's a war as this talks about sinful desires. You may ask, how do, how do when I follow Jesus, why, did, why am I all, I, I should be set free from these things. Well, now those things are waging war against your soul. And, and these sinful desires wage war and, and we're gonna learn how to fight that war. And so don't miss next week. And so what do we do now? Verse 12, Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans. A pagan is just someone who doesn't, uh, doesn't live as if, Live like God. That's what a pagan. Is. They don't live as if there's a God. They live as if they're their own God, or they live as if the God of the Bible is not their God. Live such good lives among those who are far from God, the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. That though they may accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. You know what Peter, I think, is saying. Liz, live as if God lives in you. You're the temple. You're a priest, a holy priest. Live as a priest. Live as if God lives inside you. Live in a way that represents God to the people who are far from God, the, the people who don't know who God is, what God is like, or who God even likes you are a holy priest and you represent god to those who are far from god see here's the teaching big idea i want you to leave with today you are a holy priest who represents god's life-giving goodness grace and mercy to others this is what you do. You live as if God lives in you. And when you live as if God lives in you, you're gonna be a holy priest who represents God's life-giving goodness, his life-giving grace, and his life-giving mercy to others. You are chosen. God has selected you. He's called you. He's brought you into his family. And you've received this place by through your confession of faith, through your confession of your sin, and your trust in him. You've received your place in his family. And you're a priest now. Who sacrificially lives your life in a way that represents God's goodness, his grace, and his mercy to others. See, we represent that God is good. We represent that God is gracious and we represent God's mercy. So how do we be this priest? How do we become this priest? How do we exercise our priestly duties? Well, to be a priest is to do good, to be gracious, and to be merciful. So let's talk about those real quickly as we close. We do good to those who are close to us, but far from God. You want to be a a priest of your parish? You must do good to those who are close to you, but far from God. You represent God's goodness wherever you go. Wherever you live, work, study, and play, you represent the goodness of God. This is the calling of the priest. We represent God's invitation. We are representation of his goodness. God is good, and when you do good, you represent God. This is how we live above reproach, as uh, Paul would uh, tell his protege to live above reproach. We do good to others in the way Jesus did good for us. We also need to be gracious. We we, We need to be gracious. We need to give others what they don't deserve. That's what grace is, is giving to others, extending to others something that they didn't deserve. Jesus constantly did this. He exercised compassion all the time. He was moved with compassion when he saw hurting people. He was moved with compassion. and He gave people what they didn't deserve. He gave them life. He gave them the, out of the goodness of who he was. He gave to them. We need to have compassion and show God's passion to those who are around us by doing what is compassionate for them. And having compassion for And we need to be merciful. And I'll tell you something. It's this one right here that misrepresents God to the world. This is where we fail a lot, is in our mercy. We need to be merciful. You and I, as priests who represent God, we need to be merciful. And that means we do not give others what they do deserve that we withhold from others what they deserve that when they treat us in one way we don't retaliate in like manner because we offer mercy why because we've received mercy we don't treat others the way they treat us, we treat others the way God through Christ has treated us. And this is the church. You and I are a royal priesthood. See, the church is a royal priesthood who represents God to those who are are around us by treating others the way God through Christ has treated you and you and you. And you and every one of us here, we are this royal priesthood representing God to our world. We are the representation of God's invitation to have life. See, to choose to do what's good, to give grace and to freely give mercy. It's how we glorify God. This is how we're the salt of the world and we are the light of the world. This is how people will experience forgiveness of sins. This is how they they, they will know that God forgives them when you extend mercy and forgive them. They will know that God is gracious to them when you extend grace toward them. They will know that God is good when you represent God's goodness to them. See the temple is a demonstration of the kindness of God as God puts himself in our place to take upon himself the full punishment, of the sins of all humanity. And Paul would say it's God's kindness that draws people into repentance. It's not God's wrath. It's his kindness and it's God's kindness that Jesus takes your sin and my sin and he takes that judgment of sin upon himself for my sake and your sake. And Paul would say this to the church in Rome. He said, and this is the Passion Translation, which I I love the way it says this. Do the riches of his extraordinary kindness make you take him for granted? Stop right there. Do the riches of his extraordinary kindness church Does it make you take him for granted and despise him? Haven't you experienced how kind and understanding he has been to you? Don't mistake his tolerance for acceptance. Do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you into repentance? It's a calling. It's an invitation to come church we represent that invitation to all who are far from God we are God's priests we have a priestly duty to minister in our parish, we represent God's kindness his kind invitation to all to come to him, confess their sin repent and find life as Jesus takes on the full justice of sin We are the representation of God's invitation. We represent God's kindness to a world who needs to repent and find life. That's our duty. This is our calling. You are a priest. You have a parish. Be the gospel, live the gospel, tell the gospel. As you live the gospel, do good, be gracious and be merciful. This is how God blesses those around you and reverses the curse of sin by inviting them into this relationship. See, the church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has each and every one of you. Now go. Go and be the representation of God's kindness to the world. Go and be the light of the world. Go and be the church. Be the priest of your parish, letting all who know, letting all know that God doesn't count their sins against them when they put their trust in him. Now we may go and walk out. Our calling. I want to pray for you. And if you need prayer, we're going to have prayer partners in the side of the room. They'd love to pray for you for any reason today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we repent because there are many of us here that have misrepresented you. And because we misrepresented you, maybe there have been others that have misunderstood you. So Father, we confess and we humbly come to you knowing that when we humbly come to you, confessing our sin, that we trust in Jesus, his measure of justice takes not just our sin upon himself, but he takes the full measure of everyone's sin that trusts in you. And so Father, may we represent that to the world, that kindness to the world. We confess that we haven't done that and now we want to do that. We wanna give your life freely because we've received freely. So we will, we will do good. We will be merciful and we will be gracious. We will extend your kindness and represent your love to those who are close to us but far from you so they can know that you don't count their sins against them when they trust in Jesus. This is our mission. It's your mission, and it's ours. In Jesus' name we pray.